I'm really honored to be, uh, to be here on this stage today teaching you guys. Um, I, this is my second time teaching at City Light. The first time was almost exactly two years ago. And it's memorable because it was the Sunday right before MCO started, right? And I think things are going to get relaxed now. So I think the lesson here is if you want a big change, just invite me to come preach. I don't know if it'll turn out good or bad, but something will happen, right? So I'm believing that something big is going to happen here today. Amen? All right. Um, We're going to jump into the Word of God, and uh, Joey and I didn't coordinate this, but actually, Joey, what you just shared for the offering is really connected to what I'm going to talk about today, which is friendship with God, and I'm going to use some examples of gift-giving in the Bible and how it applies to us today, how we can learn to be more friends with God, closer and deeper. Do you want that? We all do, right? Amen. Okay, let's pray, and as I pray, I believe really that God has something to speak uniquely to you today as an individual, right? Not my message, but God's word for you. So as I pray, please pray, God, would you speak to me uniquely, your words for me today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, gathered together in person to encounter you, not to hear the words of a man or to sing words of a song, but all of those are to facilitate our relationship with you. We want to go deeper. We want to know you more. So I ask, Lord, today that each person here would hear your words for their life today, what you want to speak to each of them, whether in person or watching online. Jesus. Lord, we bless this great nation of Malaysia. We bless the leaders. We ask that you would give them wisdom to lead this country and that you would give us hearts of obedience to them. Lord, we bless the world. We ask that your kingdom would come, that peace would rule and reign, that your kingdom would be manifest here on this earth as you purposed in the beginning and you will bring to pass once again in the end. Lord, we ask for peace in Russia, Ukraine, and in the rest of the world. Let it be. Lord, would you take your throne in the world as you take your throne in our hearts today? Teach us from your word today. Teach us through stories, examples, and change our lives again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, as I said, I am honored to be here, and City Light is special for Sagana and me. Um, We've been here for about three and a half years, almost four years, and City Light has really become our home. When, I, when we came here almost four years ago, I, I walked in on crutches, and I was in a wheelchair a number of times. I had several back operations. It was a difficult time in our lives. And I actually don't remember much about the first service. Pastor Daniel, I remember that you were preaching the first time that I came. I remember that Clara was leading worship. And the rest of what I remember is myself like this, crying the whole time, um, because we had been forced by the hand of God to leave our home in Mongolia. My wife is Mongolian. Uh, My kids were both born there. We have ministry there. I lived there for 15 years, longer than I lived anywhere in the world, even in places in America. But City Light has been a place of great blessing and healing to me and to our family. So first, I want to start with thank you. Thank you for being our family. This is a good place to be. God has blessed me with a beautiful family. I think we have their picture up here. Okay, this is us and uh, my beautiful wife, Sagana, who's in the front row, and you're going to hear something from her in a couple minutes. Our daughter, Hope, is with us here. She's finishing eighth grade this year, and our son, N.A., is uh, first year at university in America, and he's doing really well. Yeah, amen. My family are, uh, (laughs) you know the five love languages? Do you know the five love languages? Some of you know that, right? So 
we all have these different love languages, how we give and receive love, right? So I'll just tell you that although I like receiving gifts, gifts is not one of my primary love languages, but it is one of my wife's primary love languages, okay? So uh, <laughs> last year, my wife gave me a wonderful gift that she thought I needed, this iPhone right here, this phone. I had an old iPhone, an iPhone 8, that I really loved. So there was a bit of a conflict inside of me because that old iPhone was given to me by a very special friend of mine, a spiritual mentor for me for the last 20 years. It was his phone. It had marks on it, right? And I would carry that phone with me and I would feel close to him. So I had planned to keep that phone until Jesus returns. Unless it like disintegrated in my hands, that was my phone, right? And then my wife, my wife gives me another iPhone. Like, what do you do? What would you do? No, seriously, what would you do, right? Like, you love this. This is one of my things. I love old things. I mean, some of you know me. You, you, um, you might recognize that I wear a lot of the same clothes all the time. Like, I come to church and they're like, oh, Pastor Joseph is wearing the same clothes again. Right? No. That's just me. I like my old things. I'm not a hoarder. I love to get rid of things. But old things that are special to me, I hold on to for a long time. So the phone, what do you think? Who thinks that I should have said, oh, sweetie, thank you so much for the phone. That's not what I wanted. You take it back and give me what I wanted, which I told you I wanted camping gear. I'm really into outdoor stuff. Who thinks I should have done that? Nobody? Some of you are hiding this in your hearts because you've been in this situation, right? Somebody gives you a gift and you're like, oh, that's really nice, but it's not what I wanted. And you've wanted to say that, right? Like we all have. What do you do? Obviously, I kept the phone. I gave away the old phone, kind of like this. And somebody else has it now, prayed over it before it went that that person would be really blessed, you know? So the point here is that gift giving and receiving reflects a number of things about relationship. It's not just the gift, right? This phone is actually really not important to me, honestly. I'm not that into things but my wife is so important to me, right? And now I love this phone, and I'm going to keep this until Jesus returns because my wife gave it to me, right? Okay, you get the point, right? So a lot of times when we give and receive gifts, what we do with that or what the other person does with that reflects the quality of our relationship with that person. And it's the same thing with God. Now, if you think, think, think about this, think of all the gifts that you've received some of them you didn't really want. Some you gave away to other people. We call that regifting. Anyone want to admit to that? Raise your hand. Ah, uh, a little shy this morning. Ah, uh, my wife, yes, thank you. It's true. And think about the gifts that you've given to other people. Now, what if you knew that they gave it to somebody else? Oh, my gosh. Or that they didn't really want it. Like, you would be hurt, right? This, ref this is relevant for our relationship to God as well. God gives us gifts. We give him gifts. What do you think God thinks about the gifts that we give to him? Does he need them? What does he want? He wants relationship with us. Thus, the giving and receiving, right? And the gifts that he gives to us, do we always want what he gives to us? Honestly, not always. Sometimes we wish we had something different. Well, we're going to examine some examples of this 
in the Old Testament to understand our relationship with God. The topic of the sermon today is friendship with God. We're going to use a couple examples from David, Solomon, gift-giving with God, and then we're going to bring it up to modern times in the New Testament with what Jesus said and apply it to our own lives. Okay, ready to dig in? All right, here we go. So first we're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. We're going to read this passage, but we're going to stop a little bit in between and kind of break it down. Okay, so here's the first part. Now, when the king, who was David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord God is with you. Okay, we're going to go on in this, but we're going to pause here. What do you see in David's heart here? It's pretty good, right? David's like, imagine if this was us. We're like, ah, I just moved into a nice house, and I've got all these building materials and a nice piece of land over by the beach. I'm going to build myself a bungalow over there. And instead we pause and we go, oh no, the house that I have already is too good. It's too good. I'm not going to build something else. Or the car that I have, I got a nice car. I don't, I don't need the BMW. I don't need the Beamer. I'm just going to give all that to God because God is so good. Have you ever done that? <laughs> it's pretty challenging, but that's, what, that's what's in David's heart here. He's the king. God has put him there. He could have had a whole lot more, right? He could have built himself a summer house up in the mountains. But instead he goes, God, this is too good for me. I'm going to give the excess to you, everything, instead of taking more for myself. Well, it gets a little rough here because God responds. And God's response is not what we would expect in this situation. We're going to read it, and we're going to talk about it, okay? So moving on, verses 4 to 13. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan was David's in-house prophet. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to, my shep to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Pause. <laughs> what kind of question is this? It's rhetorical. It's a rhetorical question of God in response to David's beautiful heart where David says, God, what I have is too good for me. I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to build you a beautiful house to make your name great. This response is a little tough. Imagine if this was us, right? And God says like this kind of sarcastically, did I ask anybody? It's like God's looking around. Like, did, did I ask you to build a house? Did, David, are you watching? Did I, did I ask you, Isaac, to build a house for me? Did I ask any, Eddie, did I ask you, did I ask any of you guys to build a house of cedar for me? David, do you see here, nobody's raising their hand. Let's move on. God continues his response. He's speaking to Nathan to pass on this message to David, starting in verse 8. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, 
and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that with your fathers, uh, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is not expected. Sorry, I'm going to take my mask off. I should have taken it off in the beginning. Used to wearing it all the time at church. So God says several things in this response to David. First, we actually have a rebuke, right? God is saying, why are you trying to do something that I didn't ask for, I don't need, and apparently I don't, I don't want? This is not in my game plan. You won't build me a temple, but, uh, but I like your heart, so I'll let your son do it. And then it seems like God flips the conversation upside down, right? We start with this whole interaction starts because David wants to give a gift to God, and God flips it upside down, and he says, you know what? I'll let your son build the temple, but in the meantime, while you're still alive, here's what I want to give to you, what I will promise you. God goes through this whole list. Here's what I've already done for you. Here's what I've already given to you. Don't you know? Don't you remember? This is about my love for you, not just your love for me. This is about me giving gifts to you, not just you giving gifts to me. This is about my promises to you and to my people, right? Not just about what you can do for me. And God makes that really clear. <laughs> Imagine, um, imagine David's surprise when, when God says, <laughs> when David says, I'm going to build a temple for you so that, you're, so that your name will be great, right? And it will have your name on it. And God says, no, actually, David, I'm going to make your name great like the great men of the earth. You want to build a house for me? You already have a house. I'm going to make you into a house, right? You know, the, the house of David, right? God makes David himself, the lion of David, into a house. Such abundant blessing. David says, I want to build a house for your, a place for your throne here in Jerusalem. And God says, I will establish the throne of your descendants before me forever and ever. How beautiful is that? Imagine that David actually wanted something else. I imagine there were things that David was asking from God, right? Like the kingdom is established. God says you have peace, all your enemies and all of that. Doesn't mean that enemies aren't there anymore, right? It says you have peace. You've d- defeated the enemies. You have peace. But there were borders. What if David would have said, God, that's really nice, um, but how about we, you can back off a little bit from all of those big promises There's a couple of kings just over the borders who I don't like and I still have a grudge against, right? And I've been asking that you would smote them. How about you drop a couple lightning bolts on them and I'll feel good, right? That's actually what I've been asking for, right? In our hearts, sometimes we feel like this. God gives us blessings. He does beautiful things for us, but they're not necessarily the things that we want. And we keep praying for these other things. God, would you show that person that they are wrong and I am right? God, this situation in my life, yeah, I have what I need, but actually I want something a little bit different, right? So will you give me that something a little bit different that I want? You can take away a little bit of this, what you've given me. 
David doesn't do that in his response. If you keep reading, then what you see is David responds very humbly and thankfully. We're not going to read that, but you can mark that down if you want and read it on your own. See how David responds to this unasked for blessings and gifts of God. He responds and says, thank you so much in great humility and receives the gift of God. And again, what we see here is that the gift given and the response of the receiver reflects the type and quality of relationship. And here what we see is a beautiful relationship between David and God. David is not a sinless, pure man. God called him the man after my own heart. But that's a bit bewildering because God also called David a man of blood, and that's why you can't build my temple, right? He was, he was a man of infidelity. He had an affair. And the child who becomes king after him is a product of that affair. He killed a man in order to hide that and lie. He did so many things wrong. But God loves him so much that he blesses him like this, completely unnecessary on God's part, completely unexpected. Whether the gift is given by a friend or God, the way that the, the gift is honored and received will reflect your heart towards that person, whether it's a person or God. After King David died, God fulfilled David's desire. Remember, this is David's desire to build a temple. God says, okay, I'll let you have that, right? But your son's going to do it. So let's read how that happens. Solomon here is going to speak, and he's going to recount a bit of that process of how this came about, God fulfilling the process and what it means, right? So this is Solomon here in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 14 to 16. Then the king, who is now Solomon, this is at the convocation of the temple. He's opening up this temple that he has built. The king Solomon turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel with all the assembly of Israel when they were all standing. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have, what? I have chosen no city. I have not chosen a city. I have not chosen a city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house. This was not my choice. That my name might be there. But I chose what? But I chose David. I chose David to be over my people Israel. Instead of God choosing a city, which as people, this is what we do, right? We claim land. This is what David and the Israelites did. This is what God blessed them with. Land, places, cities, kingdom, right? And they put their name there. What is, what is Jerusalem known as? The name Jerusalem means city of peace. What else is it called? City of? City of David. Sometimes it's called the city of God. God here says, I don't choose cities and places to make my name great, but I choose people. I choose people. This is a very clear choice on the part of God. He can have anything on earth. It's all his. But where does he want his name and his glory to be? He's much less concerned about the building, but he, de he desires and decides to put his name on us, to mark us with his name, with his presence, for his glory. I chose David. Some of you doubt 
the quality of your relationship with God, right? We all struggle at some point to get up in the morning to spend time with God. Maybe you, you've been thinking, I sleep in, I don't get up, I, I want to spend time with the Lord, I want to read my Bible, worship, pray in the mornings, but I don't, so I'm not, not a good Christian, I need to do better at that, right? We all go up and down in that, whatever stage we're at, but wherever you are in that, never doubt the importance of that relationship on God's side. Whether you are there at 6 o'clock in the morning with your Bible open and your notebook and worship on, God is there. He's knocking at the door. He's sitting there with his heart open, with his ears open, his eyes attuned to you, saying, I'm here. This relationship means everything to me. And he gave everything for it. Above the cities and the kingdoms and the temples of the world. Never doubt the importance of that relationship to God. And that will never change. So, these stories from the Old Testament, right? And our relationship with God changed when Jesus came. Jesus directly addresses this topic. In several places, we're going to look at John chapter 15, where it's really clear, okay? So we're going to read together John chapter 15, verses 13 to 16. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. All right, now wait. This is where it really connects to what we're talking about. The next part right here. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And point to yourself and say, God chose me. Do you believe that? Think about what we just read about David and Solomon. What does that mean? He didn't just choose you for salvation. He doesn't just choose you and say, I want this person to exist. He chooses you above everything. Very thoughtfully, right? This building is not very important to God. It's important because this is where his people meet and worship. It's important because it's where his best friends come together around his name. It's important because you are here, because he chose you. Okay. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit shall remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I choose you is the same language that God uses with David when he says, I didn't choose a city, I didn't choose all of these things, but I choose you. In the Old Testament, there where we read about what happened with David building the temple, it was really clear that God was saying, that God was elevating his relationship with David and people above this building temple, right? How does that relate to our position with God now, today, where you're sitting? Where is the temple of God now? Where is God on the throne now? Where does he dwell here on earth now? Point to yourself. The Holy Spirit lives in you. God has decided that the form, the picture, think about all the things in the Old Testament, all the minutiae detail 
that God went into about the temple. Build it this size, like weave the, the coverings for the tent out of goat hair, right? 50 curtains with these colors, purple, embroidered, crimson, cherubim. Uh, not 50 curtains, but 50 rings on the curtains. Minutia detail for the temple. And what does God say is the temple now? Me, my heart, you, your heart. God let the desire of David's heart move him. Okay? Can you see that in that story where the temple, God's really clear, that temple's not my idea. It was David's, and God's really clear, like, I don't need that. But what does God do in the end? Right? He says, I'll let you have that. Your son will build it. It'll come to pass. Because I love you, and I love that desire of your heart. It's pure, it's holy, and it's for me even though it wasn't my idea. If God is on the throne in you today and you have an open door to talk with him all the time because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, do you think the desires of your heart move him? Desires that are things maybe like David where God goes, that actually wasn't really in my game plan. Now, I'm not trying to make a big theological statement here like, God's omnipotent, you know, or not, or whatever. That's not the point here, right? We're talking about what's, what actually happens in these stories is that it seems like God lets the desires of people who truly love him, the desires of their hearts move him. Do you believe that God will respond to you that way? Or do you believe that you're just a robot or a puppet on strings? Jesus was really clear about that in John 15, where he said, you're no longer servants, right? If you were still a servant, then God would be giving you minutia detail orders of what to do, right? So don't let that servant thing where, where Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command in that passage, right? Sometimes we get that wrong, and we let that push us back over to servants, where we go, okay, if I am Jesus' friend, if I do everything he commands, well, Jesus, just tell me exactly what to do. What do I eat for breakfast, right? What time do I get up? Exactly what do I do in this situation? Jesus addresses that in John 15. He says, you're not servants anymore. I'll reveal to you everything of the Father. You're my friend. How do friends relate to each other? How do you obey a friend? How do you do what a friend asks you to do? It's very different from a servant, but you still obey. You still do what a friend asks you to do. Why? Not because you have to, but because you want to, because you love each other. But the difference is if, if the person is your master and you're the servant and you say, okay, we're going to have lunch together today, then for the master, you would say, master, what do you want for lunch? Which restaurant should I order from? Do you want it spicy or not spicy? Do you want large or small? Do you want this or that, right? What time do I bring it to you? With a friend... Your friend says, hey, have, let's have lunch together. And you say, oh, I'd love to. And you say, what do you, what do you want for lunch? And they say, oh, I don't know, you choose. And you don't go back and say, okay, well, no, you have to tell me exactly because I want to be obedient. You say, no, I, I know the kind of things that you like. I know that you love dim sum. So I'm going to go get some dim sum that I think you'll like, and we're going to have lunch together, and you're both happy, right? You don't get them something that they don't like because you know their heart. You know what they're like, what they like, what they don't like. That's obedience as a friend. There are some, here's some examples of the
the commands that Jesus gave us in the New Testament, where we see that they're not as specific as the Old Testament. These are the kinds of things that Jesus commanded us in the New Testament. Repent, believe, be baptized, pray and fast, take communion, make disciples, put God first, love God, your enemies, your neighbors, your enemies, be generous, have faith, right? Compared to the Old Testament where these, these long passages of these details, if you sin like this, give this offering specifically, right? Do this, don't do this. All, we don't have that in the New Testament. We have this, you're not a servant anymore, you're a friend, so do this. There's still commands, but there's the friendship, openness, freedom in how to do that. God wants to see how you'll respond. He wants to know what's in your heart. How are you going to pray? How are you going to fast? How are you going to be generous? How are you going to love your enemies? Because he's there with you. He's not afar looking in to see if you're obedient to all of those details. He's here with you, and he's saying, when you go to speak to that person that you've had a grudge against for years, and you forgive them, I'm there with you, and I'm going to help you, and we're going to do it together as friends. And I love that desire of your heart to forgive and move on. Amen? Instead of asking for God, God for each of the little details, we need to be okay with mystery in relationship with God as a friend. So here's a challenge for you. Don't be content. Do we have that up there? Don't be content to live without deep friendship with God, but you have to be okay with uncertainty and mystery in relationship with God in order to cultivate his deep friendship, right? Don't be content without deep friendship with God. But in order to have that, you've got to say, God, okay, if you don't give me every little detail, I'm just going to move forward with what I know. From, from this whole book, I mean, we know God's character. We know what he does, what he doesn't do. We know the story from beginning to end. We know what's going to happen. He describes himself. He describes relationships. He describes us. We know so much about God. We know so much. He's given us so much to go on. Sometimes we, need, we do need the, the detailed orders from God, like we need to know, God, do I take this job or this job? Sometimes we need that detail, but more often than not, we actually need to take a step back from that and say, God, I am okay with the mystery because I know who you are. I know who you said I am. I know where I'm headed. I know your overall plans. I know what you're like, and I love you, and I will do whatever I can. I can make decisions on my own. You are with me, and we're going to do this together. He wants to know how you will respond with the freedom that he's given you and to do that with you. Jesus did say in this passage, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you, right? And sometimes this makes us flip back over into that servant mentality. But remember, again, remember how David responded in this, how Solomon, other people in the Bible, Moses, Job, prays for his friends, and God responds, blesses his friends. And Job doesn't ask for it, but, but God blesses Job twice as much than what he has before. It's the same principle. Job's pure heart, love for God, love for others, just trying to do things right, even though he's not perfect. David asked God, can I build a temple for your great name? I'm going to give up my riches and building more for myself and going on another war campaign to build a temple for your great name. And we see how God responds. Solomon, the same thing. God came to Solomon in the middle of the night and, and did that thing that we all wish God would do for us, right? In the middle of the night, God comes to Solomon and says, ask whatever you want for me and I will give it to you. 
in the depths of our hearts, this is what we all hope for at some point, right? Right? And what does Solomon do? <laughs> Solomon, who's young, he's, a, he's, a, he's just a kid, and he's taken over this big kingdom. He could have asked for all kinds of things, but even as a kid, he has this great, great humility before the Lord and sense of responsibility of what God has entrusted to him. And he says, God, you've given me responsibility for your great people. I'm just a kid. Would you give me wisdom to rule them? And what does God do? It's the same thing. God says, not only will I answer that because you haven't asked for selfish things for yourself, you're asking for something that blesses me so much to help my people. Not only am I going to give you what you asked for, but I'm going to make you the most wise, the richest man in all of the world, the greatest king ever in history. We still talk about him today. Solomon didn't ask for that. He just asked for things that would bless God, that were on God's heart. Amen? What if we were so close to Jesus that we talk with him all the time and when we talk with him, we just expect him to respond? We expect him to move. There's not this doubt like, God, would you please do this? Please do this. One up. It was a, a time in my wife's life, in Sagana's life. Can we welcome her? Thank you. In the 90s in Mongolia, Christianity came into Mongolia in 1990. There were no known believers, or there was one or two at that time. Christianity was new. She was one of the first believers. There was a season in there where it was, God was so real, so present. When believers met together, God was there. I mean, the presence of God was so thick. When they talked to God and they prayed, things just happened. There wasn't a doubt. Like, is God here? Is he going to move? It just happened, right? So I've asked Sagana to share a little bit about that that we can learn from it. So, sweetie, can you tell us what was your relationship with God like? Well, you heard that that was my first experience meeting with Jesus. And I was pretty religious. And so meeting with Jesus was totally different. I knew this is what I was looking and searching for. And I, people explained to me who he is, how he created, and how he died for me. And then I just became a, found my friend, a best friend and a father. And I knew I can talk to They told me, you can talk with them. So next day I started talking and then I felt like I need to go to my friend and who was gonna do abort the baby the, that, that week. I was gonna help financially. And I, I felt like God said, go to her. And I went to her and said, wait week. That was the, in my mind. And I didn't know I'm really obeying God, but that was, that my, in my heart, God gave me the desire, and I went to her, and I said, wait a week, and let's go to church first, and then decide, and then she went to the church with me, and then accepted Jesus, and the baby is 25 today, and God was just doing those miracles, just in very natural friend and father way, and then that summer, next summer, we, no, two months later, we prayed for the sick person who was men who was dying on his bed. And doctor said two months. And so no treatment, so we went home. And we went to his house. He, there was like a bone and skin, nothing else. And he was hardly breathing. We started taking turn to pray for him. And we just had that God, God is God, so he's going to heal it. And so 
And then we went to the mission trip a month and came back. And the man walked in with the young child and started naming us when he started talking and then said, God healed me. And that dying, dying man was healed a month later. And then in the countryside, every time when we go to countryside, the drought happens, interestingly. And then the people ask us to pray. And when we pray, the rain comes down. And it was so natural. And one of the things was God was partnering with us just very natural way. And Josh and me do whatever good for our children. That was simple thing. And God wants to partner with you and me. And he is not going to use you, but he wants to partner with you. Yeah, I just encourage you to know that he loves you and he wants what you want it to. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. Friend, you were made for a relationship with Jesus like this. Some of you have had a season in your life that you remember that felt like this. Jesus felt so real. And it seemed like when I talked to Jesus, he was so real. And things happened, right? Or maybe there was a season like that in the church. Churches go through those seasons. God wants that with you right now. He wants that with you. We're going to take a few minutes to respond to God. We're going to do that with communion today. We're going to do it a little bit differently. So the ushers are going to pass out the communion elements. Don't take them yet. I'm going to explain something about communion a little, little different from what's usually explained. Uh, and we're going to take communion together. And this is your response to God, right? Communion is a group thing. Jesus said, do it when you meet together. But it's also very personal. It's a very personal thing. So I'd like you to consider when you're taking communion today, your personal relationship with Jesus and what taking these communion elements means in your relationship with Jesus. Do you know that the communion, the communion ceremony mirrors uh, the Jewish marriage ceremony, marriage traditions? There's a lot to that but I'm just going to talk about a small part of that today. It's really interesting if you go and look it up and research it. I really think that when Jesus did the Last Supper with his friends and he passed around the bread and broke it and he passed around the cup of wine that he drank from and, and told them to drink from it, those guys must have been thinking, wow, this is like we're getting married. <laughs> so many similarities about what Jesus did and what he said, right? One thing that happens in the Jewish marriage tradition is that before the wedding happens, before the wedding day, the bride's family and the groom's family come together, they meet together, and they establish an agreement. They establish a covenant or a contract together between the two families, between the bride and the groom. And a main part of that is when the, uh, when the groom takes the cup of wine and he drinks from it, and then he passes it to the bride. This is a lot like what Jesus did, right? Groom, he's the groom, we're the bride. What happens in that, th this is before the wedding. This is not the wedding, right? This, is this can be long before the wedding. This can be a year, it can be months, it can be a year, it can be a long, long time because after this meeting happens and this agreement is established, actually the groom and his family go away and the bride doesn't know when he's going to return. You know who knows? The groom's father. He's the one who's going to decide when the time is ready 
when the time is right, when his son, when the groom has prepared the home and the place for the bride. He's going to say, okay, now we're ready. We're going to go get our bride. Does that remind you of Jesus? That's why Jesus said that we are the bride of Christ. It's not just a nice idea. It's significant. And when we take this, the bread and the juice, the wine, we are saying yes to that. We are re-upping our side of that agreement. In that ceremony, when the groom drinks from the cup, he's initiating the covenant, and the bride has a choice. She's not the bride yet. He drinks from the cup, and he's saying, I am initiating a covenant with you if you will accept it as I drink from this cup. And if you accept it and drink from this cup as well, I will be faithful to you from this day forward. And again, this is before the wedding happens. He's going to go away. She doesn't know when he's going to return, but he says, I will be faithful to you. I will go back to my father's house. I will prepare a place for you. And I will come for you. You don't need to doubt. You don't need to second guess my love for you. Will I return? Will I be faithful? I will. And when the bride drinks, she's saying the same thing. She's saying, I don't know when you're going to come, but I accept on my side, I accept this covenant. And I'm signing it by drinking it as well. I will wait for you no matter how long it takes. I will wait. If it's months, if it's years, and I will be faithful. I will not put another love before you. I will not put a relationship above you. And I will wait faithfully, having faith in you. Jesus passed around the bread and the wine. So we can open this up now. As we take this, I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus and the covenant that you are establishing once again with him when you eat and drink. He said this is his body broken for you, broken for you on the cross. If you have never said yes to Jesus, you need to know that his body was broken for you on the cross and his blood was poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. You can have this relationship with Jesus, not only in this life, no matter how long that is, but for all eternity. And he is so good. In the middle of all the mystery of life and relationship with God, the ups and the downs, you can be assured that he is good and he is always there with you. If you've never said yes to that relationship, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you raise your hand now and one of our leaders will come and pray with you. For any of you who would like that, your life today. Anyone, don't miss this opportunity. This is the body of Christ broken for you. So we can take the elements together and take the bread. This is the blood of Jesus that was spilled, poured out on the cross for you. And Jesus said, that this establishes the new covenant, not just between man and God, but between you and Jesus, your groom. Will you drink from the cup that he has drank from?
committing to be faithful to him and wait for him. His blood poured out for you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for establishing a new covenant for us, with us. Before we leave here today, let's take a few minutes to worship Jesus and to talk to him. Let's not let this moment pass by, but this is opportunity to talk with Jesus about your relationship with him. What is your relationship with him like? What is your desire of your relationship with him? And as the band sings a song here, just pray and speak to Jesus and ask him, right? Don't just tell him, but ask him, Jesus, what do you want to tell me? How do you want our relationship to grow? How can I be a better friend to you, not just a servant? Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus is offering you opportunity today. Don't, don't look at me. Just keep your eyes closed and talk to Jesus. He wants to speak with you. He's offering you opportunity today to go deeper in relationship with him, to go deeper in friendship with him. And that is the cry of your heart. He sees the desire of your heart to know him more, to know him better, to walk with him closer as a friend, to speak with him at every moment and for your heart and his heart to be combined for the desires of your heart to move his, for the things of his heart to move yours. He is your closest friend. He's offering you opportunity for that today. For some of you, there are things that, that have been a wall between you and more of Jesus. For some of you, it's things that you think about that distract you from Jesus. It's things that you look at. It's things that you seek after in your heart. What would you give up for more of Jesus? What would you give up to know the King of Kings more? In a hard time in my life, one of my friends asked me this. He said, Joshua, what if you woke up tomorrow morning and everything that you have is gone? This was when our, our church was doing great. It was a, one of the best times of our life in ministry and life. People were getting saved and baptized and right and left. And it was like our dreams in ministry were coming true, but we had this fear, what if it all falls apart? And we were grasping, I was grasping in my heart, grasping on to what I had, which were things that the Lord had given me. And this friend challenged me and said, what if, what if those things that you have were gone tomorrow when you wake up? So consider this question. What if you woke up tomorrow, these things that you've worked so hard for, some that you've prayed for, some that you feel like you've gotten on your own? What would that mean about who you are? What would it mean about your identity? What would it mean about who God is? Would he have changed? What would be the cry of your heart in that moment what would you get up and do? That question really impacted my life. I took a long time to think and pray about it, and I realized more than ever that the things of this world are not that important. I would give it all up. would give up the house of cedar. I would give up the palace. would give up all my stuff just to have Jesus, to have more of him. That's the cry of your heart. Just tell Jesus that today. Jesus, I would give it all up. Give it all up for you, for more of you. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Will you give me that today? Will you give me that here on earth? I don't want to wait until this life is done. Don't let anything stand between me and you, Jesus. You're my groom. I'm your bride. I'll be true to my side of this covenant. Just tell him in your heart how important he is to you.
encourage you to not just walk out of here and, and go to lunch and forget about what has happened here today. I believe that God has spoken to your heart. I want to encourage you to, to write it down, to not let one of his words pass you by. He loves you more than you could possibly love him. He desires your friendship far more than you desire to spend time with him. He's always there. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, what you haven't done. The ups and downs, every day is a fresh start with Jesus. Don't let it pass by. He is and always will be your best friend. So I encourage you to take what, has, what God has spoken to you today and let it work deep into your heart. Continue speaking with him and develop this deep, deep friendship that will carry on into all eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our best friend. Thank you for giving everything for us. You ask so little of us compared to what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And I hope that you will walk through your days speaking to Jesus, hearing from him, and cultivating this deep, deep relationship that he so, so much desires in his heart to have with you. God bless you. <laughs>